Hi, it's Mina Kimes, host of the ESPN Daily Podcast. Wake up to the best story you'll hear all day. 20 minutes a day, five days a week, where you get an inside look at the most interesting stories at ESPN, as told by the top reporters and insiders on the planet. The breaking news is Sports Center with the deep dive storytelling of 30 for 30. Today's episode is one I thought you'd especially like. Please listen and subscribe to ESPN Daily wherever you get your favorite podcasts. There's another shockwave moving through the hockey world and the high ranks of the NHL today as more stories emerge of coaches allegedly mistreating players. The hockey world is grappling with a series of allegations that threaten to upend the game and its culture. Several players have called out abusive behavior from coaches, dividing teams and fans. Today, the inside story of a sport at a crossroads. I'm Ina Kimes. It's Thursday, December 5th. This is ESPN Daily, presented by Dell Small Business. Emily, take me back to when this story initially started developing. What happened at first? Well, Mike Babcock is the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he's the highest paid coach in the league. Emily Kaplan covers the NHL for ESPN. But his team was underperforming like crazy, and so on November 20th, he was actually fired. And then afterwards, we started to hear some stories being reported in the media about Babcock's coaching tactics, specifically how he could be psychologically abusive to some young players. Babcock was alleged to have asked one of the Leaf rookies to list the players on the team from hardest working. And there's one incident that was really damning about Mitch Marner when he was a rookie. Babcock had Marner write down every player on the team and said, who is the least hardworking and who's the most hardworking? The rookie did so, not wanting to upset his coach, but was taken aback when Babcock told the players who had been listed at the bottom of the list. Babcock went behind his back and told all the rest of the players that Barter told him about in confidence. Did it seem at the time like this was a discreet one-off incident? It totally did. And that's where things kind of took a turn. Five days after Babcock was fired, we get this tweet from Akima Liu. And a lot of NHL fans might not know Akima Liu. He only played seven games in the NHL. He was born in Nigeria, but raised in Ukraine and Canada. He was a Chicago Blackhawks prospect and played mostly in the minors, and he's currently a free agent. Former player Akeem Alou tweeted during Monday's game accusing Peter. And this is his tweet. Not very surprising the things we're hearing about Babcock. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Same sort of deal with his protege. Dropped the N-bomb several times toward me in the dressing room in my rookie year because he didn't like my choice of music. Now, this is an incident that happened 10 years ago in the minor leagues in the Chicago Blackhawks farm system. The coach he's referring to is Bill Peters, who is the coach of the Calgary Flames in present day. So that's why this became such a big deal. Developing news out of Calgary starting Flames coach Bill Peters following allegations of racist comments towards Akeem Alou when he played with the AHL's Rockford Ice Hogs back in the 2009-10 season. Let me get this straight. Alou is saying Peters called him the N-word. So this was a very serious allegation. Yeah. Alou was in charge of the music in the locker room at Morning Skates. And according to Alou, one day Bill Peters came in and just started berating him. I don't want any of this. He just kept using the N-word music again and again. And there was 
obviously a whole room of teammates who saw this. So what happens next? So the NHL issued a statement and they called the behavior repugnant and unacceptable. And they say they're going to look into it. The Flames, meanwhile, launched an immediate investigation led by their GM, Brad Treleving. On November 25th in Pittsburgh, during the game, I was made aware of a tweet on social media from Akeem Alou. Post-game, I immediately met with the media, informed them that we were aware. They keep Peters the- away for the team for a couple days. And in that time, TSN puts out a story where two of Alou's teammates from 2009 corroborated the account. So now everyone kind of knows that it's real and it did happen. It's not just he said, he said. It's three guys said versus one guy said. So at this point, Bill Peters admits to it. He writes a letter of apology to his GM. He's trying to save his job. And this is it in part, quote, Please accept this sincere apology to you and the entire Calgary Flames organization for offensive language I used in a professional setting a decade ago. Then it also comes out that Peters, when he was with the Carolina Hurricanes, punched and kicked players there, which is pretty disturbing to hear. And a couple days later, the Calgary Flames have a press conference and they announce not that Bill Peters is fired, but he's actually resigned. How did other players of color react to the Alou allegations? Well, you know, there's not many players of the color in the league. We did see Wayne Simmons speak out, and he's one of the more vocal guys. I can guarantee you every single black hockey player has, you know, been called, you know, a, a, racial, a racial slur at some point in their career, whether it's been younger or older in their career. So, He said he wasn't shocked by this, and every player of color probably has a story that's very similar. If you remember, it was just a month ago that Don Cherry, who is an iconic broadcaster in Canada, was fired from his job for comments he made on air about immigrants. And that really opened the conversation about hockey and the platforms that we have and how we're making it inclusive or not. So, Emily, after Babcock was fired, after Peters resigned, did it seem like that would be the end of these sorts of stories of players accusing coaches of abusive behavior? I kept waiting for it to end, but it didn't. Things just kept bubbling up where players started talking about past physical and psychological abuses that they endured. Chris Chelios went on a podcast last week and described witnessing Mike Babcock verbally abuse Johan Franzen when they were on the Red Wings together. I don't know what he said to him behind closed doors one-on-one, but he's blatantly, you know, verbally assaulted him during the game on the bench. And it got to the point where poor Johan, he just broke down and had a nervous breakdown. That was probably the worst thing I've ever seen. Then you have ex-NHL player Sean Avery went to the New York Post and he talked about Mark Crawford, the coach of the Kings at the time, kicking him during a game. Patrick O'Sullivan, another player on the Kings during that year, said that Crawford kicked him regularly and used homophobic slurs. The Chicago Blackhawks have placed assistant coach Mark Crawford on leave after several former players say he physically and verbally abused them. Crawford is now an assistant coach with the Blackhawks, and by Monday night, the team put him on leave and launched an investigation. These allegations are only coming out now, Emily, but many of them involve stories that took place in the past, right? Yeah. If you look at two of the whistleblowers against Mark Crawford, one was Patrick O'Sullivan. He actually first made those statements in his book, which was published four years ago. Another one was Brent Sopel. The transcript was pulled from a podcast he did a year ago where Brent talks about being choked by Mark Crawford, among other things. So I do think it's interesting that now we're piecing it together and saying, holy cow, hockey has a problem. 
Coming up, how the players and fans have reacted to the allegations of abuse inside hockey. Emily, hockey isn't the only sport where you hear stories about coaches being abusive towards players. But what ways do you think this story shows how hockey might be different from other sports? Since I've been covering hockey, I used to cover the NFL, I noticed this tick where hockey players don't use the pronoun I. They say we or you instead. I think as we win, we'll learn a lot about uh, ourselves and we're only going to improve. But it's fun to grow together and learn together. And I mean, for everyone. This is something that's been instilled with them since they were really young. It comes from players from all different countries. It's really weird when you start noticing it. And it's just that they're trained not to make the story about themselves. And if they do, that means that they're distractions or they're apart from their teammates. So that can explain, you know, why this has been swept under the rug for so long. And just as an example, you know, we heard these allegations of Bill Peters kicking a player in Carolina and also punching a player. Well, I've been working through an intermediary to try to get the player who was punched in Carolina to come forward with the story. But I was told that that player doesn't want to come forward because he doesn't want all the attention that would come with it, even though Peters has already resigned. He's out of the league. You spend a lot of time talking to players around the league. What are you hearing from them? How are they responding to this wave of allegations? Well, Mina, I can tell you that there's two schools of thought. One, people are saying this is the tip of the iceberg. You would not believe the stories that we hear behind the scenes. You will not know what goes on in junior hockey and minor league hockey and all the way up until the NHL. And we're about to see a huge culture shift. And then there's another school of thought that says, you know, I think this is just an isolated incident. I think this is something that happened 10 years ago. And this is people just trying to make a movement where there really isn't much there. Have any players stepped up as figureheads or spokespeople amidst all of this? Yeah, well, if you look at school one, the president would have to be Daniel Carcillo. Shoot, save me, rebound, score, Carcillo, two to one, Rangers. He was an ex-NHL enforcer, and he's pretty much been a whistleblower on all league issues from head trauma to this. And he put out a call on Twitter last week, and he said, if you're a player and you have a story of abuse, DM me, I'm open. And I talked to Daniel on Sunday night. Like my whole campaign is about waking current guys up and waking former guys up, you know, Mm -hmm. to the fact that how you guys are getting treated is not even close to right. He said that he's received more than 300 messages in the last five days. Stories of physical abuse, stories of verbal abuse, some stories of sexual abuse. A lot of it happened at the junior hockey level, but there are some stories in the NHL as well. You mentioned there are two schools. What does the second school think about all of this? Well, I talked to Flyers GM Chuck Fletcher on Sunday night, and he's been working full-time in the NHL since 1991. He's been around the game since the 70s. His dad was a longtime GM. And he says that he cannot recall a situation that he's ever been made aware of, of abuse by a coach. And he thinks that things have evolved, coaching styles have evolved, and generally hockey's in a pretty good and safe space right now. And then on Monday, I talked to Blues defenseman Jay Boomeister, and he's one of the oldest vets in the NHL. He's 36 years old, debuted in 2002. And he told me, I know there's some people that are saying there needs to be big sweeping changes and things are going to change. But from a general standpoint, I find the locker room, again, to be a pretty safe and welcoming place. How are hockey fans reacting to these stories? 
some people are appalled and horrified and said, I can't believe this is happening to the sport I love. I can't believe that the players I'm rooting for are being abused like this and we're allowing it to happen. And then I think there's other people who are saying, you guys are kind of making a big deal out of nothing. And this is snowflake culture, really. It sucks that it happened, but stop trying to go out on a witch hunt. I mean, I think it's interesting that when the allegations came out against Mark Crawford, one of the first things hockey fans did was try to discredit the people making the accusations. Emily, as I understand, the sport itself has evolved quite a bit over the last few years. There's more of an emphasis on skill. There's more scoring. The game is changing. Has there also been change in the locker room culture? One thing I have noticed is that players are getting more and more say in the locker room. You know, it's just a generational thing where we get more millennial players and now even Gen Z guys. You know, there's some teams who are canceling morning skates altogether or practices Hmm. because guys say that's not what they need for their routine. So you start to see players taking more stake in the locker room and maybe taking more authority as well. Do you think that could be a factor in why more of these players are coming forward? Because I assume this sort of behavior from coaches isn't anything new. Yeah, I do. And I think we live in a more transparent time now than ever was before. There's now outlets and mediums that players feel comfortable going to where they can speak their truths. Twitter wasn't available 15 years ago, 20 years ago for players to come forward and have a safe space where they wouldn't be questioned. And I I think that's one of the reasons that we're seeing that as a forum that a lot of these guys are going to to share their stories. I do think that some hockey coaches are going to rethink their messaging towards players of things that they've done for years where they realize, you know what, this is no longer probably acceptable in the society that we live in now. Overall, I don't know if there needs to be sweeping changes, but... On Tuesday, Akeem Alou did go to the NHL offices and he met with Commissioner Gary Bettman and Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. And he met with reporters afterwards and gave a short statement. I wanted to start with just thanking everyone for their support. Um, it obviously means a lot to me. Um, uh, it's been a tough week, but uh, we had some great uh, discussion with Gary and, uh, and Bill. They couldn't have been uh, kinder and uh, receptive to the, to the message that we're trying to bring. And uh, I think there's just uh, some big change coming. And um, Um, It's long overdue, and I'm excited to see it come to fruition. The fact that the NHL even invited Akeem Alou to their offices to speak to him is something I'm not sure would have happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. So could speak to a changing culture in itself. Emily, with all these stories coming out about things that are happening off the ice in hockey, does it feel like the sport is that a bit of a turning point, both in terms of its culture and also how it's perceived? I think it is. The NHL prides itself as a growing sport. The NHL's TV deal is up in 2021, and they're hoping that that can expand their reach. We're seeing more scoring in the NHL. Games are more exciting. We have more comeback wins than ever before. But all of that momentum is halted when you hear these stories and you wonder, okay, is this really the sport for everybody? I have to think that folks in the NHL League office are frustrated by this because as much as they're trying to grow the game, it's still these same issues that we talk about again and again about hockey being an exclusive sport and hockey not being a sport for everyone. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. 
Since Akeem Alou spoke to the league office on Tuesday, the NHL now plans to discuss implementing a code of conduct policy to prevent future abuse. Coming up, I make a case for the saddest fan base in football. Here's another story I want you to know. Every fan base who roots for a bad football team thinks they have it the worst. They think they're the most discriminated against, the biggest victims, and that they live in a uniquely depressing and hopeless NFL existence, and no one understands their pain. And a lot of fans do have legitimate cases. I mean, this year, it's hard to argue with anyone who cheers for the Bengals. Browns fans are appropriately miserable, given the contrast between expectations and results. The Jets are the Jets. And the Chargers are innovators in the space of finding new and depressing ways to lose. But I think the fan base, with the best argument this season, for being the one that has been through the most, belongs to the Detroit Lions. According to a story in 538 by Ty Shalter, there are three NFL teams that have held a lead in every game they've played. The 10-2 San Francisco 49ers, the 8-4 Kansas City Chiefs, and the 3-8-1 Detroit Lions. One of those things is not like the other. Now you might think, well, maybe they've just been getting lucky early, but the Lions have a tendency to blow these leads late. In fact, if you took away the fourth quarter of every game, they would have a winning record. You may remember last week on Thanksgiving when it looked like backup backup quarterback David Blau was going to pull off a miraculous victory only to have the defense cave to Mitchell Trubisky down the stretch and for Blau to throw a back-breaking pick. Ball game on the line here. David Blau takes the snap, blitz comes, Blau back, loads and throws, deep downfield, wants Galladay, and it's going to be picked up by the Bears. Eddie Jackson's got it, slides down, that's your ball game, Bears are going to win it. They've lost games because of their injuries at quarterback, they've lost games because of their suspect pass defense, and they've lost games because of the refs, who could forget those outrageous hands-to-the-face penalties against defensive end Trey Flowers, which arguably cost them a game against Green Bay. In short... This has been a uniquely gut-wrenching year for Detroit. And that's saying a lot, given the history of this team. Let's hear it from Fantasy Focus producer Daniel Dopp, my friend and our resident Lions fan. I mean, sure I've watched the Lions waste the careers of generational talents like Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders. But it's not all bad. I mean, we overcame the odds. A .002% chance to go 0-16 in 2008. That's something you can literally never take away from us. That and also a Super Bowl, because we've never won a Super Bowl or even made it to the Super Bowl. So I guess all three of those things are things that you can't take away from us. I mean, with a quote like that, I think I'll quit while I'm ahead. Much like the Lions. I'm sorry, Daniel. (laughs) I'm Mina Gimes, and this has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.